And so it's a collaboration between uh, myself and Midsummer uh, Festival and mm-hmm. Incinerator Gallery from Mooney Ponds Council. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had me come in to guest curate their Midsummer show um, for them. So uh, I had about six artists come in and I had four out of those six create new works for the show, mm-hmm. I think. Um, I think I'm getting that right. Um, and so, yeah, we sort of just, we did a group show, um, and it opened, uh, God, it would have opened on the 19th of mm-hmm. January was company by a panel. It's called Black Magic. And it's very, I, I kind of asked the, um, asked the artists or selected the artists, um, because of the discussion that I wanted to have about religion and Christianity, mm-hmm. um, and queerness in Aboriginal, uh, nations, First Nations cultures. So that was the broad idea of the show that I presented to the gallery, um, and they ran with it. So... Yeah. Uh, so what would you say are some of the themes that kind of carry out with the um, art pieces? Are they very distinctive, like different? They they are. They're all kind of complementary. They're all different media. So um, had a, like, a few really interesting ones, um, again, again, about religion, Christianity, um, and about the history of, like, uh, Christianity and the influence that it's had on each one of the artists as individuals as well. Um, so, you know, for example, Diane Jones, uh, Noongar, a woman who's an artist who's, like, you know, one of my favourite artists, she um, has a series of works that are sort of, like, uh, speaking to her experience of being, like, a born-again Christian, um, re- being raised in, like, a Baptist family in Western Australia. So there was a bit of that, um, and then there was just a bit more sort of general playing with those narratives, um, like New Testament narratives especially, uh, in some of the other works as well. But then there was also some, like, other dialogue that some of the artists wanted to have about, um, for example, like the... Uh, public sort of statues like commemoration of um people like figures like Latrobe or Captain Cook um mm. who are known for their like massacre histories um so there was a little bit of that going on in some of Peter Waples Crow's work and um yeah I guess it was pretty broad but I guess all kind of loosely tied together around again yeah like religion and spirituality it's really interesting because um a lot of um indigenous culture is tied to as you say spirituality and the land and yet we have this European religious culture which has come in and they've decided to um take up like those christian values um why in your view do you think it is that aboriginal people choose to take up christianity and can those values combine with sort of um indigenous culture i mean that's a really hard question to answer because Mm. you know we can't really make generalized comments about aboriginal spirituality of course um and also I think that we can't really make generalised comments about whether people choose to grow up mm-hmm. in religious in a religious way. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't always have a choice about whether those things are um, forced upon us or whether we live within them. We're all shaped by them mm. regardless. Um, mm. So I guess that was kind of part of what we wanted to talk about um, is like that idea of choice or that idea of like, um, you know, religion being something which shapes you, whether you choose it or not, um, or like spirituality being something which shapes you. Um, and it, all the artists approach that in very different ways. Um, and I wasn't trying to answer any sort of specific questions about that. I guess just more encourage like a sincere engagement or a personal engagement from a lot of them. Um, and that that's kind of what I ended up getting and it's quite beautiful and complex. So yeah, I guess I, you know, there's like the sort of critical or analytical or historical side that we could take to it, which is kind of what I'm normally used to doing in my writing or mm. in sort of research. But I think I wanted to sort of encourage something that was a bit more intimate. Um, in learning what people's engagement is with that personally and what their experiences are with that. Um, and some of the artists took like a more politicised approach to it and some of them did take that kind of more um, more sort of like emotional or... So uh, a personal side to I it. I guess a bit more, yeah. So it, we did get a really complex set of responses to the theme. Uh, yeah. Why do you think that was something that came out, um, you know, having so 
political um, pieces and as well as having such a personal um, interaction with like the prompt. Uh, I think well, one of the artists that we had come up, um, Kent Monkman, ad- adopted a bit of like his his work. Um, I chose or like I sort of asked for us to have that work in, included in the exhibition because it, it connects uh, a sort of like um, really experiential kind of uh, kind of act or narrative act that's like about Mary Magdalene and washing the feet of Jesus. Mm. Um, but it also has a really so it's a three minute long, three and a half minute long video piece. But it kind of like. Uh, relates also really like directly to um, a treaty dialogue which is going on in Canada um, about the meaning of surrender in the treaties. Mm. So um, that was something where like I guess those two things kind of met um, but they met in this setting which is like a video work which is also presented as like a foot fetish video and a hair shampoo commercial. <laughs> so it's kind of like you know it, it interweaves all of these things which I think is something that's really good at, good something that the artists are all really good at doing is like interweaving this dialogue of the the personal the political but also like the performative mm. um, and the kind of like analytics that can come from that little cross section. Okay, um, slightly off topic, there's one question we asked um, one of our other um, midsummer curators mm. earlier in the week about um, queer and Indigenous mm. representation in the media, and he thought it was in a pretty good position at the moment. What's your view on that? Do you think it's um, better? It could be improved? Oh, God, representation is like a minefield. Mm. <laughs> I don't know if representation is always good or bad necessarily just by the fact of it existing. Mm. I think that's the attitude of a lot of people is that we're just like, just get the representation in, just just diversify the representation and then everything is, we, we've ticked that box. And yeah. I think that was mm. the that was the response that I got to the show as well, which is like, we're so happy to have diversity. And I was like, the show is not really about diversity. My work is not about diversity. I don't believe in diversity for diversity's sake mm. um, at all. I don't think diversity is neutral. I think that, um, if we can only do diversity and we can't do criticism, we're failing. Um, but if we're doing criticism and it's only ever being read as diversity and positive, then we're failing as well. And like the audience is failing to respond accurately to what we're trying to do. So I don't, I don't believe in just focusing on representation purely. I believe in like also really understanding like why we're here, why we're in this space, and what are we actually going to say? Like what is the quality of our response and not just our presence as a fact? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say, like being a curator, for example, mm. um, do you find it kind of difficult kind of um, to kind of filter that message? Yeah, I think that when you, whenever you're creating something, and I believe this as a writer as well, like I haven't curated at all really before, um, there's always this tension between like, is the audience going to see what I want them to see? Who is going to notice what I'm trying to do here? Um, or who is just kind of going to like not get it. It's going to miss them. It's going to go over their head. And you can't necessarily control all of that. Again, like you can't really have control over how the audience sees your work, how they respond to your work. And for me, it's like more like if one or two people come up to me and they say, I see what you're doing here. I see what you did there. That's really interesting. I feel happy. Um, and if the artists are happy, then I feel happy. But yeah, sorry, can you repeat the question? I think I've just gone um, off like on a tangent filtering and lost out it. like the <coughs> idea of, um, yeah. you know, like finding the message. Is mm-hmm. it hard to filter kind of like those different um you know aspects of trying to make mm. diversity for diversity's sake and mm. like filtering it so that it doesn't feel like that yeah that's interesting because and the other thing that i've been thinking recently since the show opened as well is uh you know when you look at art you're always kind of seeing what you're looking for you're not really seeing necessarily what and that's that's the kind of the nature of it as well and kind of trying to accept that too um is an, is an interesting process um but i do feel as though like we got we got some really good responses we got some people who thought it was really funny and saw the humor in it and i was really happy about that because mm. that was one of the things that i was really trying to underline is not pride or diversity but i was like funny i want it to be funny you know mm. and i think we struck that i think we managed to strike that a little bit i think people did laugh and i think um you know we managed to get a little 
there, there was another question I want to ask you regarding um, your curation. As you said, it's the first time you've curated an exhibition. Um, did you try to bring any of your personal experience into the curation? And if not, why not? Um, I, I, I guess I... I mean, if you're if you're curating a show, yes, like you're kind of always like this kind of invisible presence that like shapes the whole thing, you know. Like mm-hmm. you do all of your decisions, like um, shape everything that everyone else is sort of doing. You're, you're the one who positions all the artists. You're the one who sort of like shapes the space, like physically. Um, but you're kind of just like removed from it as well. Like your influence is not very like um, stated, like so explicitly. But I think. It's interesting for me because, you know, normally I'm a writer. I'm expected to put a lot of personal stuff on the table. Um, but in the last kind of six months, I've backed off from that a little bit and focused on curating, as I said, and also editing. So I'm editing on magazine um, with my friend Nika Lehman, who's my co-editor. Um, and so she's one of the artists in the show as well. So now my role in the whole, in the in the art world, I guess, feels less like confessing, confessing my own sort of um, personal investments and more facilitating other people's entry into into the gallery space or into the magazine space, which is really, really, really nice for me. It's good to just, like, take a rest from being the centre of attention mm-hmm. and just not be the writer who's always, like, you know, on the table, so to speak, but mm. um, actually sort of let other people jump in front. And that's, that's just really, really good for me, I think, at the moment. Obviously, yeah. when it comes to um, the art world, like, your personal experiences yeah. have to be basically the centre of attention. As, mm-hmm. as you said, you had taken a rest from that. Where do you get your influences if they're not from your personal experiences and like your inspirations? Yeah, I guess it's a bit of a it's a bit of like a weird claim to make that you're just like this objective, like you know, outsider. Yeah. You know, you're just putting it together. You're not involved in any way. Obviously, like I have interests. I, I curate things that I want to see. I you know edit things that I want to write. I mm. can commission pieces that I want to read, um, or that I would write myself. And that's kind of what every editor does at the end of the day. They're very narcissistic. You know? <laughs> like, um, I make things that I want. I would like to go and see, and I would like to read, basically. Um, and I. But get, if you want to go and see them and read there'll be some at least one other person that would as well i'm sure and you I know so. yeah. <laughs> no, it's almost like surprising you're like oh people are coming to this people, people are like what to, i like people are coming to my show like this is weird you know like really inflates the ego but <laughs> and um just on your writing what sort of writing do you um tend to do tend to focus on uh i've done a lot of different kinds of things what have i done i've done like research like formal academic sort of journal writing um i guess like peer review process Mm -hmm. kind of things um i've done magazine i've done newspaper i've done op-ed like i've done online essay like long form and short form um the only thing i haven't really ever published is fiction or poetry Mm -hmm. um it's all non-fiction it's all like critical writing um the thing that i actually got um quite surprised by is that i was actually getting commissioned to write a lot of arts reviews um and i was like you guys know i'm not an artist right (laughs) like you know and art writing is so weird it's such a like i've just discovered it more and more since i've like been in you know literally become an editor of an arts writing magazine i was like people actually write arts writing and arts writing is like this weird space where it's like it's not it's it's not review necessarily it's like not really even criticism it's not essay it's something else it's Mm. just you know, someone having a dialogue with an artwork with an artwork that might go on for like years and years that they just keep on writing about the same piece or like you know, wow. um, these things happen in arts writing. I just it's a whole new world that I'm just unaware of. You'll find that's a common thing actually. A lot of art critics they sort of just fall into it. Mm. Like they don't mm. like seek out to critique something. They just told that they need to review something. Yeah, and you go to these like art events at like galleries and stuff, and you're like, so are you an artist? You know, asking people, and they're like, no, I've just got an art history major. You know, like <laughs> I just am an arts writer, and it's like, wow, there's heaps of you. Like, is it like funny as well? Like, I don't know, do you sometimes feel like you're misplaced 
in a sense. Like you're mm. just like, oh, I don't, I'm not really an artist, so mm. should I have an opinion? Or it's like your opinion, you're just like, oh, this just seems like a line to me, but I don't want to tell do anyone that or something about like that. My yeah, opinion? Like, yeah you're, you're like, guys, I didn't graduate from the VCA and no one cares. <laughs> yeah, no one cares. Like, you know, nobody actually cares about that, um, which is cool in a way. It's like the art world's walls are kind of breaking down. It's mm. institutionalizing, yeah. right? Everyone's an artist now. Mm. Um, it's fantastic. Like, I'm not, you know, I, I know, so I know you mentioned like before highbrow, lowbrow. I was like, the brows aren't even a thing anymore. You know, like <laughs> maybe we should edit that. Arts is everywhere. So yeah, I do. I think I've definitely felt like I was like, you know, I'm not really part of this world for a little while, and then I was like, it doesn't matter. Mm. You know, and mm. I guess everyone kind of these days, mm. people form their opinions mm. from other people's opinions. Yeah, which is crazy. Like as a journalist, I I've been told that no one cares about your opinion. You just yeah. just write the facts. Yeah. But if you start putting your opinion into it, it actually creates everyone else to figure out if they're on the fence or if they're on this side or this side, which is... Hmm. Yeah, I mean, journalists these days seem to get a lot of their opinions from social media and then republish them as well. Which That's is true. Quite <laughs> interesting too. I, I always find it funny that they yeah. use that as like primary sources, or, yes. the, or there's like a whole news story where they use Twitter as like a mm. means of like, mm. oh yeah, oh this is what people are thinking. I'm like, I could literally just look at the hashtag myself and like, yeah. yeah. But like, I mean, I guess it's like a new means of like mm. media. In yeah, and that might create a loss of a lot of journalists then if we start <laughs> just going straight to the hashtags as for news. Yeah, I remember back in the day when, um, not mentioning names at all, but like there was, um, there was like a few prominent, I think, feminist writers who were trolling like the online closed or secret Facebook groups, copying and pasting things that people were writing and putting them in their journal, like their op-eds about sexism. And I was like, yeah. this is interesting. And I think I would rather they just publish the hashtag, the, the feed, you know, just like give people a little live thing where they can scroll the feed instead. Because I'm like, don't steal it, you know, a let the of, person's like handle have the... A lot the... of um, people do like a lot of... Um, like people I know that mm. are journalists or student journalists, they do a lot of stuff where they go into like they kind of like pretend to be in part of these like Facebook groups, yeah. um, and then they kind of find their means of like getting information and stuff like that, or oh, getting yeah, getting definitely. behind the real story or something like that. Mm. But sometimes like it's funny when like for example they'd go on to like. Um, there was like a um, high school student space or something like that, mm. where um, when like a few years ago the ATARs got released early yeah. um, they uh, used yeah. all like the Herald Sun has like a person that's like in that group mm. and used all of these like posts that people had made mm. and stuff like that yeah, in it, order to get like more of an like even though they were making memes and jokes and stuff mm. like that they were oh, using definitely. that as like primary sources I feel yeah. like today journalists don't even have to leave their desk anymore like we're not even going out to find stories you just look on the internet for stories mm. which is crazy we you just really look at BuzzFeed I mean yeah, yeah count their or articles are 30 most bizarre things I've seen today or something like that. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Really sidetracked from art, didn't I mean, as, a, as an art writer, it makes you feel like less of a vampire. Do you know what I mean? Like making mm. a living off other people's work, that's mm. okay. Like, you know, at least I'm not like literally copying and pasting it mm. into my article. So. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's interesting. Like, I mean, people are able to just like share their, their thoughts really freely and publicly and it's property of the internet, you know? Yeah. Mm. yeah. It definitely is. Whatever it's you put out there, yeah. it's there yeah. forever. <laughs> I don't know. I find it interesting, like, the, the kind of line between people wanting to have their voice out and heard and having, like, the, like, free means of doing that, mm. but also, like, writers wanting to get, like, paid for their work mm. and not having to, like... I don't know. I hate, like, that kind of idea that, like, just having your name out there is enough for you, mm. in a sense. So it's kind of, like, an interesting fine line because I kind of, like... 
I do like writing as well sometimes and I'm kind of a bit on the fence sometimes because sometimes I really appreciate these organisations but I know that I need to like also be able to like, you know, get paid sometimes for my mm. content. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I was so happy to be able to pay my artists with this. Um, I think partner, you know, midsummer can be a fraught space, but partnering yeah. partnerships between council and midsummer are always really productive in that you can actually pay your artists. You know, yeah. you can pay them pretty well. Um, it might take them like six weeks to get paid through council um, <laughs> contract, but you know, they might got to deal with that to get in the art world. <laughs> um, but you know, the art world maybe is like you know, there's a little bit more opportunity there. You don't have to be on the dole to make art. You know, mm. like mm. or like on you know trust funds to make art you know like <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, exactly. there's actually ways you can actually make a little bit of a living or at least like supplement your income by doing art and it's rewarding yeah definitely 